Well, as you can tell, we're talking about the Trinity, and for the last couple of weeks, that's exactly what we've done. We've looked at the Trinity in week one as a whole. Uh, our God is one God, but three persons. Try to figure it out right here and now. We're not going to do that. But we do understand that from Old Testament to uh, New Testament, it is clearly seen that God is one, yet he, we see him as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I'm excited today to continue as we look at God the Son. Uh, as I was thinking about today, uh, the thought came up about things in the past, things that we used to do or buy or use, uh, kind of some things were fads, some things have gone by the wayside, and uh, I was thinking of a few things, maybe you can think of a few things that were once in and now are gone. Drive-in movies, has anybody been to a drive-in movie in the last little while? They're, they're quickly going the way of the dodo. But it was a great thing to do as a teen. You go out with your friends, try to stay out of too much trouble, and uh, you go watch a movie outside from your car. That was fun. How about the rotary phone? Do you remember the rotary phone? What's the worst thing about the rotary phone? Zero. Exactly. You get a number like 416 400 Zero, 0300. Zero, zero. And if you make a mistake, that zero takes a long time to get around. So irritating. Uh, not only the rotary phone, how about has anybody ever used a phone book? Like, you remember the size of the phone books? Uh, they'd be like this big now. Phone books. Pay phone booths. Remember that? You actually had to touch the phone and put it near your ear. You know? It wasn't that hygienic, especially in our day and age. What else? Oh, how about this one? Smoking on airplanes. Oh, can you, do you remember the day going, uh, to go on a holiday and as non-smokers, you'd go, I can't wait till we get there. It wasn't the plane itself that was a bother. It was the smoke wafting through the cabin. It was awful. And when they did away with that, I think... Um, half the world or better took a collective, yoo-hoo, no more smoke in the airplanes. Here's the last one that comes to mind. Do you remember the day when you actually had to get out of your lazy boy chair or whatever, your favorite chair, and go over to the TV and turn the knob to turn the chair? You remember that? Oh, my goodness, that's right. Oh, you know. Kathy and I were talking about this morning, you know, when we were kids, we'd just wait long enough that somebody would come in the room and say, oh, do you mind just turning the channel for me? So you didn't have to get out. Get out of your chair. There's a lot of things um, that really remind us uh, of days gone by, but things that have come and gone, and they're not going to come back. Um, we're continuing our study today with the second person of the Trinity, uh, Jesus Christ, and, uh, you know, we're going to focus on him. Uh, and there is, again, not enough time to, to tell everything there is about Jesus Christ. Because uh, it would take eternity to figure that out. But the one thing is certainly, like those things we've just mentioned that have gone the way of the Dota, they're, they're gone. When it comes to Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday... Today and when? Forever. Jesus Christ 
God, the Son of God, will never change. He is always going to be who he is, who he was, and who he, and, and there is no will be because he's always going to be the same. And we love that about him. We love that he is always the same. Now today, I know that Kathy read from John chapter 1, and I, I threw you a curveball there. We're not actually in John 1. We're in Hebrews chapter 1. So if you turn to Hebrews chapter 1 for now, I just want to tell you a few things about Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, as we are in our uh, study time together today, Hebrews is one of those unique books in the New Testament that has no designated author uh, at the beginning of the book. We don't know really who really penned this book. Uh, if you have a King James Bible, it says, uh, the book of Hebrews, and it says by Paul. It tells us it's by Paul. But they don't know that for sure. They're surmising that. Uh, Hebrews, uh, a lot would say, claims to have similar writing style to Paul. Um, but again, it's unverifiable. Uh, interesting enough, in all of Paul's epistles, you will see him... Uh, mention uh, in the opening greeting, he will, he will talk about his offering grace and peace to his readers. We don't see that in uh, the epistle of Hebrews. So we don't know. And it doesn't matter because what we do know, it is clear that God authored this book. And he gave it to us to understand how to live our lives in a world that is challenging. So when we think of Jesus, who is God's son, in the book of Hebrews, we immediately get the answer to this question. What's so amazing about Jesus? What is amazing about... What, what can we just shout on the mountaintop uh, that is amazing about Jesus? And there's a number of truths here that we want to let you know about this morning. The scriptures want to teach us. One thing you will do, and you will notice, when you read through the book of Hebrews, you will see when it refers to Jesus Christ, it talks about Jesus as being better. Better than, better than. Thirteen times in the epistle of Hebrews, to the Hebrews, it talks about the fact that Jesus is better. And it, I know what we're like. As human beings, we're always trying to find the latest and greatest of things, you know? Uh, it was funny. We were talking this morning about coffee. I don't know if you know. We have the best coffee in all of Whitby here. We go to Jack Dup, and, and they're down on Brock, and he gives us his coffee at a great price. But you know why I love it? Because it's awesome. And you know me. I like coffee. And I would say it's better than better than. But you know what? It's really insignificant. When it comes to Jesus, who cares about coffee? Jesus is better than everything. And as we live this life out, don't you want to be tightly tied? Have faith in that which is better than everything. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, a little while later, in Hebrews 12 too, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The author is trying to say, life is very much similar to a race. And he's saying, let's run this race that we have with endurance uh, that is set before us. And here's the important part. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Looking 
to Jesus? Are you looking to Jesus on your, in your daily race, this life race that we're in? So with that all said as an introduction, let's move to Hebrews 1 and let's read the first three verses, uh, three very powerful verses with truths that we need to hear today. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that's where we'll stop for this morning. There's a much in there to talk about this morning. But let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is clear and it is a light unto our path. And Holy Spirit, will you teach us today? Open our eyes to these truths. Make them personal to us. Help none of us to leave this place without personalizing the message that you have for each one of us. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Kathy did read John 1, and she read John 1, 1, and down to verse 14, and it said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, listen, there's no greater scripture to talk about Jesus as being God than John 1. It is just so clear. And so this morning, I am not going to try to uh, communicate or try to convince you that Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. And we thank the Lord that he gives us his word in such clarity to say, I get it. God, the second person, son of God, became man and he lived, he died uh, for all mankind, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so this morning, we see clearly that Jesus is God. Now, if you've been with us, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, once again, we see with such clarity who Jesus is. Jesus is God. We see him healing the blind, uh, giving people strength in the, their withered legs. We see him raising a child, verifiably dead, raising that child from death to life again. We see him out on a, a water and speaking to the wind and the waves and calming them with a word. We see him in the life of a, a man who is taken over by thousands of demons and he speaks a word and they're gone and he's freed. Uh, we see clearly Jesus is God. But when we come to this little passage here in Hebrews, we see the author kind of pepper spraying us with five amazing truths about the character and the nature of our God, Jesus. By the way, just a little side note. Um, 
the epistles, all of them, were written with the uh, in, uh, purpose to solve a problem that the readers were having. If you look at all the epistles as you read them, you'll quickly understand he's answering a question about a problem in these Christians' lives. And the problem is that it's uh, addressed here is that Jesus had not yet returned. He promised to come back, but everybody else, uh, all the believers of that day, and oftentimes in our day, we think Jesus should come back on our timetable. And I truly believe, I truly believe that Jesus will soon return. But I can't tell you when, because the Bible doesn't give us that. He doesn't, doesn't tell us when. And whether Jesus returns today, tomorrow, or a thousand years from now, I'm going to live my life in light of an imminent return of Christ, seeking to bring glory to him. Isn't that what we want to do every day? Jesus may return, so I want to be serving him faithfully today. But in this day and age, what's, what, what these readers were experiencing was great persecution. This book was probably written around 67 A.D., 69. So roughly 30, 35 years after Jesus uh, died, buried, and resurrected. And it was a difficult time. As a matter of fact, uh, in A.D. 70, Jerusalem would be flattened. Um, uh, there would be a fire in Rome. And Nero would then put Christians up on stakes and burn them alive like torches. And so it was a difficult time. And many of these believers were struggling so much that they were drifting away. Uh, they were deconstructing what they knew. And isn't that so true today? How many Christians have you heard about? Even, even pastors walking away from their faith, deconstructing what they understood to be true taking this Bible and going, I don't, I don't trust this anymore. I, I could never do that. This Bible is, this, this Bible is a miracle. All, all the 66 books of this Bible, when you read them from uh, cover to cover, you say, only God could have put this together. You know, 40 authors on uh, four different continents over thousands of years, and they all say the same thing. That God created this world, has a plan for each one of us, and Jesus is the answer to that plan. It's amazing. It's amazing. The author of the book of Hebrews calls us uh, to stop looking at the conditions of the world around us, no matter what's going on in the world. You know, it is difficult. We don't deny that, but stop looking at that and look and keep our eyes uh, transfixed on our Savior Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator. Do you remember that old hymn? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. Oh, I love the old hymns. I love the new songs, too, that we sing. But the theology in some of those old songs are just so powerful. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So today, how will we strengthen our faith? Bolster our hope that we have held on to for so long. I think it's, it's clear. Hebrews tell us, fix our eyes on, G on Jesus, who he really is. 
have personal faith in him. It's not about relation, uh, religion, it's about relationship with Jesus. Do you have a real, personal, trusting, faith relationship with Jesus? So let's, let's talk about these five truths. The first one is, the book of Hebrews helps us discover that Jesus, who is God, the Son, is God's final word to the world. I love how Jesus, uh, or how the people uh, of this world often claim uh, that God has never real, uh, revealed himself. Where is God? I've never heard him speak. I've never seen God at all. Yet listen what it says in Hebrews uh, 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke in, at many times, in, in many ways, and he often used the prophets to speak. Then Jesus came. And who did the prophets speak about? The Messiah to come. The Messiah is Jesus. And Jesus came. When we think about Jesus coming, I, I, I look at Jesus as the full and final culmination of God's communication to all of us. When we see Jesus, when we hear Jesus, guess what? That's God talking to us. God the Father sent God the Son, and God the Son is relaying God's loving heart to each one of us. God has always... Now, you go to Romans as well. It talks about all of creation speaks of God, and God speaks through creation. But even better, go to Jesus, and Jesus absolutely speaks because he is God. Uh, since Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven, there's been a few people who uh, claim that they actually have uh, the word of God. They have God's word for that day and time. Uh, and, you know, I, I say this respectfully, but there was a man named Muhammad, an Arabian, uh, in April of 571, claimed to have received a final, final message from God. And he wrote it down, and it's called the Quran. Again, respectfully, I, I say that uh, the Quran, who supposedly was uh, tr uh, given to uh, Muhammad by the angel Gabriel in about 610 through 630, um, claimed that this word superseded Isaiah, uh, Jesus, and uh, even though they see Jesus as a great prophet. Not only was uh, Muhammad came on the scene, a guy named Joseph Smith came on the scene. And again, respectively, respectfully I say that uh, Joseph Smith in 1830 received a vision from an angel called Moroni, supposedly. Uh, a, a more final revelation called the Book of Mormon. Yet, uh, I, I say with the humblest of apologies, not seeking to offend anyone, I, I'm sure I will, uh, Jesus is the final word. Jesus is the final word. And anyone who comes along and says they have a better and more final word than Jesus, I'm sorry. 
That is not what God's word says in the scriptures, the Bible. Uh, God is still giving final and more illumination. We can go to the word and every day learn something new from the same scriptures that we've read. The, the Holy Spirit, God, the third person, which will be next week, helps us to understand God's word, to see it clearly, to apply it to our lives. But God isn't giving any new revelation. The scriptures are closed. So when somebody says to you, God told me to say this to you, this is a word from God, you look at them and you respectfully say, no, I, God's given his final word. It's in his scriptures. And by the way, if you look at Revelation chapter 22, the, the last chapter uh, that we have placed in the, the scriptures, it says there is a warning there in verses 18 and 19 that if anyone adds to the word of God, there will be plagues upon them. Man, that's a scary warning, isn't it? So God's word is complete in Jesus and Jesus having been the author of the scriptures. Secondly, I want to say the book of Hebrews helps us discover that Jesus, who is God's son, created and sustains everything in the universe. What's so amazing about Jesus? Wow, we could spend time here. A lot of people make some major claims about themselves. Jesus, while he was on earth ministering, made one claim that just sort of sent the, the religious establishment on their ear. He said, before, uh, before Abraham was, I am. Do you understand what he was saying there? He was literally saying, I'm God, here in your presence. And that he has always been. Before Abraham was, I am. God's Old Testament name is I am. And God says of Jesus here, look at verse 2 and 3 in Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, Through whom also, talking about Jesus, he created the world. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Remember in Genesis 1, where it said, it said uh, God said, Let us... Make man in our own image. That us is Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father. And Jesus was there when God gave the word. Let there be light, God said. Jesus was there. Jesus' presence and work at creation um, is, is so exciting to read. You go back, now you start to see Jesus throughout the Old Testament. But let's not forget what John said that we read earlier. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Holy Spirit is communicating to us, Jesus is God and the creator of everything you know and see. My favorite verses that uh, really unfold this truth of Jesus as the creator is Colossians 1, 16 and 17. We have that on the screen for you. But for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. 
it's just amazing. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's the word of Christ that keeps everything together. That word upholds is a, a wonderful word. It's sustenemai. It's a, a Greek word that means to stick together. Now, all I can think of is crazy glue. Remember that old fad? I think crazy glue is still around. But that's what it's talking about here. Jesus is the super glue that holds everything we understand together. And I, I know you and I probably, most of you, I don't. I don't stay up at night worrying about how everything's going to be while I'm sleeping. You know, well, will everything fall apart? Will the sun get a little too far away and I freeze to death? Will it get a little too close and I'll, I'll fry? And that's what the scientists tell us, that there is just slight degrees that if the sun was too close or too far, we would be done. For decades, for millennia, any scientist who, who wouldn't claim to know Christ say that this world and all that we understand about it, everything in this world just happened by chance. Good luck. But there are Christians who have been involved in science throughout their lives, working at the highest level of academia, clearly recognize that there is a creator, a designer, involved from the very beginning and continues to play a part. Again, let me read first, or Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him, for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things Systemi stick together. And I am thankful that my Jesus, our God, the second person of the Godhead, is the one who's created and sustaining. Third thing the book of Hebrews tells us about that Jesus, who is God's son, perfectly reflects God's glory and character. It says, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Radiance is a wonderful word. It reflects back to the Old Testament, uh, the Shekinah glory. The word radiance means brilliant, shining glory. And in the Old Testament, uh, this was used to describe uh, the presence of God in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and then in the temple where God's, um, the, the Ark of the Covenant was kept and the mercy seat, which is the lid uh, where the Ark of the Covenant is kept, uh, was there. That mercy seat, the cloud above it was God's presence. And the people of God wanted the presence of God with them and when they sinned, that presence of God would leave and they could visibly see it. As a matter of fact, when the ark was captured by enemy forces in the time of the prophet Samuel, 1 Samuel 4.21, the event was called Ichabod. You know that name, don't you? Do you know what Ichabod means? It means no glory. No Shekinah. No 
presence of God. The, the, the Shekinah is no longer in the temple. The Shekinah is no longer in the temple. Where is the Shekinah glory of God now? The Shekinah is Jesus. Jesus became the presence of God on earth. And men beheld his glory. God chose to reveal himself to us. And as he did, he revealed himself in Jesus that perfectly reflects God's glory and character. Remember when the Pharisees said, uh, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Again, threw them out for a tizzy. They just could not stand that Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That was difficult. But it's the truth. Fourthly, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, who is God the Son, is the only one who can cleanse sinners. And if anything you hear this morning, if you are searching for Jesus, if you are trying to understand who is Jesus, this amazing Jesus, who is he to me? First things first, get this. The Son of God who created all things, who sustains all things, is the one who offered purification to all those who will surrender their lives and trust him and receive his gift of salvation. Verse 4, after making purification for sin. As you read through the book of Hebrews, you'll quickly come to realize that the blood of bulls and goats, rams, could never make atonement for sins. Only a sinless sacrifice could cleanse us. That's where Jesus comes in. Jesus uh, is the spotless lamb of God. Never once sinning, under all the pressures of living his life in, out in a sinful society, he never once succumbed to Satan's temptation and society's temptation to step out of alignment with God's will. He's a sinless sacrifice. So when he went to the cross, he went to the cross pure, sinless, spotless lamb. And he died. He died in your place, in my place. And he went to the grave, he was raised from the grave, and he went and is seated at the right hand of the Father. What he's done has made it possible for us to be cleansed from our sin. And that's what this letter is all about, really. Its central theme, when you read through it, is that Christ is better, a better sacrifice for sins, superior sacrifice for sins than the blood of bulls and goats. Jesus did it all for us. Jesus cleansed the world from the domination of sin, took the penalty for our individual sin by dying in our place, and no other penalty would need to be paid. Now, here's the thing. The devil, Satan, who is the ruler of this present age, would want to influence us, influence us to understand that we're okay. We're not that bad. You know... 
uh, yeah, there's some sin in your life. This is not that bad. You know, if you do some good things, that'll outweigh the, the bad things. And most likely, you'll be okay. And a lot of people will attempt to clean up their lives by even going to church, by putting money in an offering plate, by doing some good things to those around them. But only Jesus' blood can cleanse us from our sin. We can never make ourselves pure enough before God to come into a right relationship with God. Do you get this? This is critical for your eternity. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, should you accept his gift of taking your place, paying the price for your sins, you can be certain of an eternity in the presence of the Father. Again, an old hymn. Do you remember this one? Some of you old and goldies. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid it all. So fifthly, the book of Hebrews draws us to another conclusion about Jesus who is God, the Son. It tells us that he sits in the place of heavenly honor. I love this conclusion of this little section. It says in verse 3, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Kathy and I had a wonderful road trip back in November, or a, a, a vacation back in November. We went down to Texas. I just want to start to walk a little funny now. Went down to Texas. It was great. We see uh, our son and his wife, and uh, many of you know them. And we were told before we went, we got to go to Bucky's. How many know what Bucky's is? Oh, there's a few there. Most of you don't know what Bucky's is. I didn't know what Bucky's is. You know what I'm talking about, eh? Bucky's is a gas station. We were told we cannot miss going to Bucky's. I'm going, are you kidding? Why do we want to go to a gas station? We went to this Bucky's. It had 50 to 60 pumps out front. Think about that. 50 or 60. And that's a small Bucky's. There are Bucky's with 100 pumps and more. That's the first thing you get. Then you walk into Bucky's, and there's a, a, a myriad of things you can buy in, in clothing, in goods, in candy, in food, in drink. Oh, it's amazing. Go to Bucky's. Trust me, go to Bucky's. Guess what? There's not a seat in the joint. There's nowhere to sit in Bucky's. You know why? The, the philosophy is get your stuff and go. Get on the road again. There's nowhere to sit. But then I think of this and I go, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, after making purification for sins, he sat down. Why is that important? Why is it important that God wants us to know Jesus finished his work and he sat down. You know why? 
when you look at the temple and all the wonderful things in the temple, there's no seats in there either. Why? Because the priests had to keep on making sacrifices daily, yearly, forever and ever. They thought it was going to be for the sins of the people and themselves. And if they stopped making sacrifices, they would be under condemnation from God. They would not have purification. But when Jesus made the final sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the time when God the Father will say to Jesus, my son, go get your bride. That's us. Yeah, that could be today. Might be tomorrow. It might be a thousand years. Does it matter? No. All we can be thankful for today is that Jesus' work on the cross, his shed blood for us, is perfect and final. And one day he will come back. And so he is sitting at the right hand of God, reigning and ruling. I love that song. Uh, Our God reigns. Our God reigns. And he is doing just that. So just know this. If you're looking for Jesus, put your faith and trust in him alone. The scriptures teach, uh, you know, it's so clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Here it is. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Have you been boasting maybe a little bit, trying to do good things, help out people, which is all great, because it tells us afterwards After you've put your faith and trust in Christ, then do good works. But to come into a right relationship with God means that you need to surrender. Means that you need to say, I am a sinner, Father. I know it. I know your Bible, your word says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And today I've heard, I just need to trust Jesus' final act of love and mercy where he shed his blood for me. I received that gift. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Jesus is God's gift to all of us. A gift must be received. Otherwise, it's not ours. It's just there. Will you receive the gift of Jesus' final work of shedding his blood in place of yours and mine? So, what can we learn from this short passage? Jesus, who is God, who created all things, is heir of all things and sustains all things. Let's never forget that. By faith alone in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can be purified from the sin that separates us from God. And there's nothing like being purified, cleansed. 
Knowing Jesus personally, thirdly, gives us confidence to live our lives. No matter what God has put in our life, whatever job we do, wherever we go to live, under what situations, whether stressful or not, we can live confidently because Jesus is our Savior. And lastly, ultimately, the epistle of Hebrews here is a manual on how to live a life of faith. And so I would encourage you to keep reading through Hebrews and look for those moments where it talks about Jesus is better than. And as this world we live in around us, as it implodes around us, it gets worse and worse and worse. worse. Let's, let's have a, sh- a faith that cannot be shaken. Let's not be people who try to deconstruct our faith because we've been shaken. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, trusting in him. Let's remember what uh, John said in 1 John 5, 12. He who has the Son uh, has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Have life. Grab hold of the Son. Trust him. And as we said in Hebrews 12, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for today and the, the truths that we found in, this, in these three verses. They're powerful. They're critical for us to understand. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us in this room, wherever we are on our journey uh, towards you, will be encouraged and take the right steps to truly place our faith in Christ and live out our faith in Christ fully, leaning into him and following you. Holy Spirit, help us today to understand this. In Jesus' name, amen.